Ahoy Mets fans! Welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is my pal Chris. Um, I feel like it's been a long time since we've done this, but it's probably only been, what, two weeks? Yeah, I think so. I felt the same way. Like, go out of town for a week, and then things go a little, uh, <laughs> they feel a little haywire. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think we did talk two weeks ago, uh, last night, but... yeah. Something like it that. It might have been three weeks ago because I had, I had Syndergaard on and then I had uh, Brett Tomko on. So maybe it was three weeks. Hmm. This is riveting radio regardless. Yes. Um, <laughs> as I, as I look this up. You probably remember what you've listened to. We don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a blur to us. Um, but yeah, but, but you know, the last time we spoke, I think both of us were in this place where we felt like, all right, well... You know, the Mets are going to – this is not going to necessarily happen for the Mets. It's been fun, but, you know, that's just the way it is. And here we are. It's September 19th, and the Mets are still kind of in it. I don't yeah. know how, yeah. but the Mets are still <laughs> kind of in it. Um, as of the time we are recording this, and this this will change probably within the course of the episode, but the Mets are currently three and a half back of the wild card. Um. They are just now trailing the Cubs and the Brewers for the second wild card spot. They have jumped the Phillies and the Diamondbacks, and uh, you know I, I am still not in any sort of belief that this is going to happen. But <laughs> but I think we need to talk about what sort of has to happen for this for this to happen. Uh, what's really going to be interesting is that. There's there there's a not insignificant chance that the Reds are the team that decides the wild card. That's crazy. Beca- because the Reds took was it two of three from the Cubs over the weekend? Yeah, yes, they did. I'm sorry, the, earlier this week they took uh, the second and third games from the Cubs. The Mets are going to Cincinnati tomorrow, and then after the Mets leave Cincinnati, the Brewers are in Cincinnati. And so there is there's a chance that if the Reds get really hot or the Reds get really cold or the Reds do one of the other teams a favor that they could be the deciding factor in the wild card this year which is just an insane thing to say out loud. Yeah, um, the the Friday night matchup of DeGrom and Castillo is a pretty great one. Kind of wish the Castillo didn't face the Mets, but Yep. But I guess in their reshuffling and their rotation uh the Mets miss Sonny Gray, who somehow had a very good season. Um, I wouldn't put him up there in the Cy Young contenders with DeGrom and and Ryu and Scherzer and all that and Soroka. But he's been really good. So face one ace-like pitcher and don't have to face the other. Um, I still – I'd prefer for the Mets to face Gray. But hey. Yes, agreed. We'll see what happens. But that's okay. So let's look at the Cubs first because they are the team that is currently holding. I'm sorry, currently right ahead of the Mets. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Cubs are going are in game one of a four game series with the Cardinals, who have already clinched the division, I believe. Right? Are they clinched, or are they just mm-hmm. presumptively clinched? I don't think it's officially. No, they yet. have they have not officially clinched yet. Okay, no. No. Um, but but they are most likely going to be. It, it would it would be a pretty big upset if they were not the. Uh, the champs at this point, just because they have they have consistently been just a step ahead of both the Cubs and Brewers all all season. But anyway, 
So the Cubs right. will play the next three games against the Cardinals, and they have three games against the Pirates, but then they finish the season out against the Cardinals again. So if the Cardinals are hot, the Cubs are in a lot of trouble uh, because they are not going to be gaining – they're, they're going to be losing ground in, in both races, essentially, for every loss that they get with the Cardinals. Um, I think the Pirates are probably the – let's see. Do the Pirates have a worse record than the uh, than the Reds? Yes, they do. So the yeah, Pirates really the the Pirates and Rockies had respectable records in like June. Yes, and they totally fell apart. <laughs> and they have plummeted. Um, yeah. Whereas so both... the Mets and Diamondbacks have have sort of done the opposite. Right. So so both the Cubs and the Brewers face a a really bad team among their final three series. The Brewers have the Rockies the last weekend of the season, which is where you want to have the most opportunity to to make a late run. I mean, obviously it doesn't do them any good if they're out by then, but you want to go into that last weekend of the season thinking, okay, if if we have to win all three games, we can do so against the Rockies easier than we could against, uh, you know, somebody else. Yeah. And one of my guitars just like jumped. That's weird. <laughs> uh, I I think Aaron dropped a box upstairs, and my guitar like, jumped off the wall there for a second. I thought it was gonna fall. <laughs> that was uh, that was scary. All right. Anyway, um, uh, so that is that is what the the Brewers have ahead of them. They have the Rockies the final weekend of the season, and the Reds right before them, and the Pirates this weekend. So really, they have the most advantageous schedule. They are playing three bad teams. Uh, over the course of of the last week of the season, the Cubs, on the other hand, are playing the Cardinals for seven of those ten games, and uh, the Pirates for three, and then the Mets have the Reds this weekend, then a four game series with the Marlins, which could be the blessing the Mets need, but the really the really tough part for the Mets is the last series of the season is against the Braves who have just spanked them this year and who have nothing to play for they right. they are already clinched in their set which could be to the Mets advantage because they're they're going to be worried about lining up their rotation for the for the playoffs and they're going to be resting guys and all of that but it also but it just that last weekend really scares me yeah same here i mean Atlanta could still be playing for a home field advantage in the potential NLCS. So that could be something they have in mind. But when you get down to those last three games, it'll be mostly about lining up their, you know, their pitching and, and having their players well rested uh, so that the NLDS is, uh, I don't know, as, as well positioned as it can be for them. So right. You know, there's there's a bit of a gap because of the wild card game and and the way the schedule works um, between the end of the regular season and the playoffs. That I don't think the Braves necessarily have to massively rest anybody. Right. But I don't know. Since the Mets are done with the Dodgers and already did their part in losing two out of three to them. <laughs> right. It would be nice if the Dodgers wrapped up home field advantage because then the Braves would really have nothing to play for. They're right. If if they don't catch the Dodgers for best record in the National League, uh, they will definitely have the second best record yes. in the National League. So go Dodgers. 
Yeah, exactly. The uh, the game one of the division series will be on when, uh, sorry Thursday, October third. Yeah, so those divi- division winners get three full days off in between. You know. Yes. Yeah, and so the the Braves may not even have to do too much to line up their rotation because because of that all that time off. Right. Or at least not as much as if they had to play Monday or Tuesday. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so this is going to be fascinating to watch how these last these last ten days or so uh, play out. If you if you were a gambling man, Chris, and you had to put some money on who the wild card teams were going to be, I I, I think it's pretty well established that it's going to be the Nationals. Even though the Nationals are only a game up on on Milwaukee, it just seems likely like the Nationals are going to take that first spot. So who do you think is going to be playing the Nationals if you had to? Place a bet here. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, the dream scenario is that they continue to, to fade and, and fall out of it, and they're not in it at all. <laughs> but if they hold on, jeez. Uh, I guess if I was betting, I don't know. The Brewer schedule makes it tempting to pick them. Uh, I might still say the Cubs, but... Yeah, I don't know. If, if if I was putting real money on something, it would it wouldn't be the Mets. I, I hope it's the Mets. I want it to be the Mets very badly, uh, but I guess I I don't know. I'll, I'll say Brewers Nationals would be my like if I you know if if serious life changing money depended on it, that would be my guess right now. Yeah, the only reason that I wouldn't wholeheartedly agree with you. Is that I think that losing Yelich hasn't hurt them yet, but might hurt them soon. The team is just so much less deep without Yelich there. And uh, you know, if they start to scuffle even the smallest bit, that's going to be the uh, the story that's going to, to come out. You know, they would have had this locked up if not been for Yelich's injury. Um, yeah, but but their schedule really doesn't need Yelich. You know. Right. Well, the, and the thing with him, uh, I kept thinking, you know, that injury happened a few days ago. I'm like, all right, they're going to cool off now. They haven't. Right. And then the Cubs are dealing with Baez and Rizzo uh, having their injuries. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it, the, the Mets are the healthiest team in this bunch. Yeah. <laughs> Is that like. That's actually true right now. That's weird. Um, I'm just looking uh, up the I Nationals schedule here, too. Um, so the Nationals have the Marlins. Then they have the Phillies. Then they have the Indians the last weekend of the season. Yeah. Yeah, Cleveland's okay. got a weird... Like, I feel like they have a lot of interleague at a time that they're fighting for their wild card life. Yes, which is really bizarre. Yeah. But hey, um, Mike Clevenger, he, he's not going to pitch this weekend because he just he pitched tonight as we were recording his uh, his start wrapped up. But you know, go do your thing, go beat those teams <laughs> for us, please. Yes, absolutely. Um, it is sort of fascinating. I know Arizona faded um, a little more than the Mets, and I don't know. I don't know if we call them realistic at this point, but Arizona and, and Cleveland were both teams that traded away Granke and Bauer, respectively. Yeah. And then made 
their surge. Um, it's kind of funny how that works. Yep. You will have, uh, you will have some people saying that that's due to team chemistry being fixed without those players. Those people are wrong. Right. Just, <laughs> just putting, putting that out there. Um, I guess you know, next week's going to be the real test here. Because if the Mets are, if the Mets are within two games next Thursday, there is still a legitimate shot that they are going to get in. Um. And at that point, I'd be really interested to see what you think their strategy should be for a wild card game. But we'll, we'll we'll save that for next week. Let's not jump the gun. Yeah. Uh, about that right now, but I, I I said this to you before we started. You know, I think before the season started, we we all had maybe um, unrealistic expectations, or at least I can say I did. I thought the Mets would be a better team than they looked to be for most of the season. Um. I know that we all talked about the depth and especially the bullpen depth that we we were not necessarily um you know thrilled with but I think we all had had a lot of had a lot of hope for this team and then very quickly that hope faded about you know at the end of April or so um <laughs> it's sort of remarkable that we're here right now isn't it Oh yeah Yeah I I I'm realistic, obviously. Um, having not said that I'd put all my money on the Mets. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, I didn't think, I mean, I joked. So we had just, we were out in Denver uh, for a week, which is, you know, why I was not on the podcast last week. And um, we got back Tuesday evening, back to New York. And we were out there and, and that trip was booked months ago and two and a half months ago, I was joking that, oh, wow, it's going to be a hell of a battle for 14th between the Rockies <laughs> and the Mets. You know, I, looking at it, I, I remember trying to count regular rotation days out and being like, all right, am I going to get to Grum at least maybe, you know, I, like I, I'm always happy to see a new ballpark at all and to see the Mets in a, a new ballpark uh, a new to me ballpark. Um, so I wouldn't have been like bummed out about going to see the 13th place Mets and 14th place Rockies. Right. I would have still been up for that, but I never thought that going into that game that I'd be scoreboard watching and like actually really caring about what was, what the outcome of the game might be. Yeah. Um, it's it's almost you know I, I think we all like to make fun of Jeff Wilpon's uh, meaningful games in September comment from however many years ago that was, but I do think you know this is way better. I, I I would much rather this than have the Mets have totally tanked it and been out of it at this point in the season. Uh, I know there are fans who disagree with me that if you're not going to make the playoffs, you might as well be as bad as you can be because of draft picks and whatnot but as somebody who who has to watch these games i would much much rather be watching exciting games games that matter and even though there's likely heartbreak built into it i I can't see how this is a worse outcome yeah i just can't I, i have to be happy about this i have to think this is a good thing 
Yeah, no, I, I, I'm definitely in agreement with you there. Um, is there one like when we look back on this season when there is the uh, the eventual SNY special about this season? What to you is going to be the turning point of the season? When it, when when did this become real? Hmm. Uh, I mean, I guess it was at the tail end of the fifteen and one, but that that weekend at City Fields, those Friday and Saturday night games against the, against the Nationals. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that sort of uh, put an exclamation point on it. Hey, like this really did happen uh you know this is enough to make this team relevant again i i think that's a significant moment so even though it was at the tail end where you didn't go all right that started that streak i think that would probably be it for me when i was thinking about this i was thinking about the stroman trade just because it seemed so ridiculous at the time that what the hell are you doing you're out of it and yet you're trading for this player who was clearly a, uh, you know, an important part of somebody's team next season. Why are you trading for them now? And then, oh no, Strowman's actually going to be a signifier of the fact that the Mets believe they were still in it in the middle of July. And it turns out they were kind of right. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, again, I don't think any of us had that on our bingo card for this year that, you know, trust ownership in terms of where the Mets are in the division. Yeah. But you know, that's that's what we got and it's um you know Stroman has not been fantastic for the Mets. But I think we can all safely say he's been better than Jason Vargas would have been, especially in their last couple starts each. Yes, absolutely. Um and I think if I were to predict the future, I would say it would look like those last couple starts for each of them. <laughs> yes. Um you know, I, I perhaps I didn't give Vargas enough credit earlier in the season when he was solid, if uh, unexciting. But yeah, I, 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 I'm very glad that it's Stroman instead of Vargas. Yes. Um. So w- we're going to talk about some other stuff in a minute, but we got an email that I think is going to be important to talk about. But before we get to that, I do want to talk about your uh, your trip to Denver a little bit. So I have been to Coors Field, uh, and now you have been to Coors Field. So talk to me. What did you what did you think of the uh, Mile High, the former, not the former, the home of the Mile High City? Yeah. <laughs> so overall, I would say uh, Coors Field is, is pretty great. I think it's actually a little underrated. Um, maybe I just haven't looked at stadium rankings recently, but I, I think it it just has a nice feel to it inside when you're in there, the outfield. Uh, and we had pretty good seats because Step, Step Up was like, you know, cheap uh, to sit in pretty good seats. But it didn't look like this expansive outfield, um, which I know in terms of dimensions and, and all that, it, it kind of is. But it didn't look like that. It just looked like, hey, this is a a comfortable park. Um, there was like a blend of, with the obvious difference being that some of the Rocky Mountains are visible. I think if you sit in certain sections or higher up, more of them are, obviously. But uh, some of the mountains are visible, but the ballpark itself felt like 
half Citizens Bank Park and half, uh, what was the other one? I had a good, I had a good pair to go with that. Um, it's funny because the paper out there accidentally ran a photo of Citizens Bank Park. Oh, really? As Coors Field, like last <laughs> season or the one before for opening really? day. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like the Denver whatever. Uh, yeah. Denver news. Oh, let's see, Denver newspaper. I'm gonna guess it's the Denver Free Press, but I have no idea if that's true or not. No, Denver Post. Okay. Uses massive photo of Citizens Bank Park on a feature about Coors Field. So, <laughs> yeah, it was like a like the photo takes up most of the top half of the printed newspaper. As I'm I'm looking at a photo <laughs> of this, um, that was 2018. That was the early, you know, going into last season. So maybe that's in my mind as a part of a reason why I would compare it. But it really did feel a little bit like that. Um, you know, they have some differences in layout and stuff, but I've sat in both ballparks and there was some similarity there. And then Coors had maybe a dash of another stadium that I just can't think of right now. But, um, you know, I, I didn't get there early enough to like walk a lap of the field level, which I always like to do in parks that have that, but it seemed nice. Uh, I, I definitely enjoyed it from where I was. Um, you know, it's, Coors Field, so it is not the best craft beer stadium, although you can find some. Um, I think one of my favorite things about being out there was uh, a day we spent in the town of Golden, which is where Coors is, you know, from mm -hmm. and still operates a huge facility and drinking at a craft brewery there <laughs> in that same town. It felt sort of maybe it's not, but it felt like a little bit rebellious, like, yeah. Little punk rock. Yeah, I went in tour cores. We, you know, we drank at Mountain Toad, which was actually one of my favorite spots. Like the beer was solid, and then the the setup was good. So, yeah, but yeah, that's a, a bit of a rambling explanation. But but cores definitely worth it if you can get out there when the Mets are out there. Do it if you happen to be there and there's just baseball going on. Um, go do that. Check that out, and then. Just drive far away from the city and do something that's outdoors. Yeah. Close close to the city, far away from the city, whatever. Um, the city itself, and I know sometimes coming from New York City, it might be easy to feel this way. Um, but the city itself is, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's got a lot of breweries. Um, you know, more per capita than we do here. Uh, but... You know, that that's also our per capita is the 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 people part of it is eight and a half million, not right. seven hundred thousand. Uh, <laughs> so it's kind of hard to to top that. But San Diego for a city that has a ton of breweries for not that large of a city population, San Diego definitely has better beer and is a better city, in my opinion. See, uh, I, I found um Coors Field to be somewhat reminiscent of Petco. Um, uh, oh, actually, all right. So Citizens Bank and Petco is like a blend that could work. But why? Mm -hmm. Why specifically that? Well, uh, I mean, part of this is just like totally anecdotal bullshit. Um, but when I was in Petco, I felt like I was walking around. It was a, it was a Mets Padres game. I was walking around in a Mets cap. And I did not get 
either the shit you would get at um, Citizens Bank for wearing the Mets cap, oh, yeah. nor did nor did I get the Pittsburgh like "Hey, welcome, friend" vibe. Like everybody <laughs> there was kind of like they were they were totally indifferent to the fact that I might be rooting against their team in that moment. And when I went to Colorado, I did not see the Mets. I was actually out there for my best friend's wedding, and the Mets were playing that weekend, but I was going to be across the state in uh, Grand Junction for this wedding. So I went to whoever the the Rockies were playing, you know, the day before the Mets came to town or whatever, and I was wearing a, a Mets cap, and the only comment I got about my cap, and I, and I was, I, I try and be a friendly guy and talk to people, was, you know the Mets are coming to town tomorrow, right? <laughs> like Everybody's <laughs> kept saying that to me. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm aware. Um, but I also just felt like it was both of those ballparks were probably how can I put this nicely? Um, they seem like they were possibly created for a bigger fan base than is actually there. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think... and. If you built Petco Park in a real baseball city, I think a lot of people would go nuts for it. But it seemed like people in San Diego were just like, yeah, this is nice. Sure, why not? Yeah, yeah. No, that makes that makes sense. And the that experience, I, I would say, felt the same. I don't recall anybody in San Diego being like... Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, like as an opposition fan, I don't, I don't recall anybody giving me shit. Colorado, certainly nobody did. Um, I will say in, in the case of both cities, whatever reputation we have in New York for being rude is far <laughs> exceeded by what you can experience in other cities in this country. Uh, I, one of the rudest stadium staff members I ever dealt with was at Petco and we were asking like directions, how to get somewhere in the ballpark. We were, we, we had just walked in, we were sober <laughs> Like we definitely did not do anything wrong, right? Uh, um, and then just people in Denver. I don't. I, the, I don't know if we just had bad luck. I don't think we were doing anything wrong. It's one of these things where you're like, "Is it us? Like, are we doing? Are we doing something <laughs> weird? Like, why are all these people being this way?" But um, kind of felt stadium staff at Coors was very nice, but overall. You know, people who you dealt with at, at bars or restaurants or, or um, breweries or wherever. It was rare to find that, like a normal, pleasant exchange that you would have here. Um, I mean, except for like the most hipster places where they condescend to everybody. But, <laughs> you right. know, just, yeah, just a little strange. Um, you know, I, I've always thought that that New Yorkers are a rude thing is so played out and uh, and just not real in a lot of ways. I think New Yorkers are in a rush, and New Yorkers have, I would say, less patience than most people. But that's not the same as being rude, right? You know, uh, but whatever. I'm not, you know, you're never going to convince somebody who doesn't like New York that New Yorkers are not rude, so. right? Yeah, no, it's uh, part of me thinks we should double down on it and just be that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but yeah, I don't know. I've, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I would like to go back and see the Mets at 
uh, cores at some point. But I would also like to go back with anybody. Like that was a trip. So my wife was pregnant with my son, and my daughter was three. So we got out there, and I, I purposely did not buy tickets for the game because I wanted to see if they were going to be up for going to a game. And the answer was a resounding no, they were not. And so they just like kind of went and hung out, and I went to the game by myself. And while I don't mind doing things by myself, a baseball game is something that is much better enjoyed with a friend. Mm, yeah. Um, and so I think if I had a friend to go and taste beer with and, you know, walk around with, I would have had a better experience there. Yeah, yeah. I get that. Um, oh, my one other thought, and this was just perhaps random, but I there were two people in my section, uh, both wearing Rockies gear or, or Colorado stuff or whatever, who referred to balls that went foul as being out of bounds. And I was just like, mm, no, no, I don't think that's a local thing. I think you just have that wrong. I, I I highly doubt. I don't know of anywhere that that like I've all the baseball fans. I've never heard that before. Yeah, say out of bounds. So I heard that twice, and I was just like, "All right, you know, maybe this is people who just wanted to come out to the game. It was something to do, and and uh, hey, I applaud them for there's something to do being a baseball game. That, oh, that's absolutely, great. yes, yes. But yeah, um, that sounds like the guy who you meet at a dinner party or whatever, who's trying to sound like he knows about baseball, but doesn't. Right. You know, it's like, oh, I saw the Mets scored three points yesterday. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. You know, there's really nothing wrong with what the guy is saying, but it's not right. <laughs> you know, it's uh Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and also to your Pittsburgh point, uh, very accurate description. Neil Walker was still, he was on the Mets and, and playing well. Uh, at the time that I was out there and it was just like, Oh my gosh, thank you for coming out from New York on, it was Memorial day weekend. Like you came to here like on a holiday weekend. That's awesome. Thank you. Like, how's Neil doing? Are you guys taking okay? Like, is he okay? Are you taking good care of him? (laughs) It was such a, you know, in hockey, I'm like, ah, enough of these, like, like I don't penguins fans who show up in Madison square garden, are not representative to me of Pittsburgh sports fans when you're in Pittsburgh. Right. <laughs> and it's not even close. And like even at MSG, they're not Flyers fans. Let, like, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's just the lowest bar there is, is a Philly, a Philadelphia Flyers fan. I, I think. Yes. I, I agree with that. Uh, so when I was in college in Pittsburgh, uh, PNC park opened the end of my freshman year, like the uh, second semester of my freshman year. Jeez. The uh, the so I went to one of the last games at Three Rivers. I went to the implosion of Three Rivers Stadium, <laughs> like four in the morning. Well, nice. My my friends and I stayed up most of the night, and then just fell asleep. Went there, and then we stood across the river watching it implode. And then we saw this the this like uh, cloud of asbestos coming towards us, <laughs> and we all realized, oh, oh shit! And so we just <laughs> kind of hightailed it into a McDonald's, waited for the, the like cloud to pass by, and then went back to our dorms. Um. But so I went to the second ever game at PNC Park, which was uh, the, the the Mets and Pirates had a preseason series there. And so um, I was the only person in the ballpark to give Mookie Wilson a standing ovation when they announced him as the first base coach. Um, or at least I, I presume I was. But it was so cool. Like going to the game, um, 
I was walking up, and again, this is the first. This is the, for everybody there. More than likely, this is the first time they're ever going to this ballpark. And right. I'm walking in, and there's uh, like a a an employee whose job is just to stand outside the ballpark and get the fans excited for the new stadium. And so she's going like, "Yay, Pirates! PNC Park!" She's she sees my Mets hat. She comes over and goes, boo, Mets, puts her hand over. She goes, I'm just kidding. Isn't it so great you're here for the second ever game? <laughs> like, <laughs> you, they couldn't even let the the uh, like the, the, the taunting last four seconds. They had to get right out of it and say, like, oh, no, you know, good thing you're here, buddy. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, I love me some PNC Park. Love me some Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, before we get to our email, is there anything else that sort of we need to discuss for these last 10 days of the season? Is there anything that you think we really need to be looking for or um, yeah, anything else to sort of dive into before we go? No, I think it's just uh, in, enjoy it. I mean, I, I get the sense that all Mets fans are tuned in and – they care and they're also not being unrealistic. So just, just take that and, and run with it and hope the Mets win every game the rest of the season. Um, for the next seven, it's not inconceivable. Yes, that's true. And then the ultimate, the ultimate high pressure series against the Braves would be if they run the table in these next seven and if they did that, it's hard to imagine that the Brewers and the Cubs and even the Nationals and the Phillies would all win seven games in a row. Right. Uh, I mean, in some cases, those teams will face each other, so it's not even possible. It, nothing screams potential disaster like <laughs> a seven-game winning streak that puts them on the cusp of or in a wild card spot. And they just have to beat the Braves to hold on. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, let's hope for that. I would love to dread a series against the Braves uh, going into the final weekend. That would be nice. That would be nice. I can get behind that. Yeah. Let's let's root for that. Please, let's the, root for that. The, the, the Met fan... the. The slogan for Met fans, uh, maybe permanently. I would love to dread it. <laughs> if only we had more control over what T-shirts we got made, that would be a <laughs> that would be a good a good one to get for sure. Uh, so before we get into our email, we should mention this is very important. On Saturday, there is a very very cool thing happening from one of our sister shows on our podcast network. Our friends over at a pot of their own have been doing this event, all this fundraiser rather, all uh, September called Dollars for Dingers, where folks are donating money to the National Domestic Violence Hotline for every home run the Mets hit. So far, there have been over, I believe, thirteen hundred dollars pledged, at least over a thousand dollars pledged, which is incredible. It's such a great thing that that Allison and Maggie and Linda are doing, and they are sort of capping it off with a an event over at. Uh, McKellar NYC at City Field on Saturday from 2 to 4 p.m. There is going to be a a really interesting number of raffle items. The highlighted item is that, uh, or items rather, is that the Mets organization very graciously donated 
uh, autographed baseballs by Noah Syndergaard and Jacob deGrom, which is just so, so cool. And so you can get raffle tickets for that, whether you're going to be at the event or not. If you go to AmazingAvenue.com, there is a pinned post about uh, how you can get raffle tickets for that. But there's also some other cool things. McKellar uh, donated some beer and, so, and a gift card. Um, we have some bobbleheads. We have just lots of really cool things for the raffle. Uh, I'm going to be there. Chris will be there for a little while. I believe every Amazing Avenue audio show will have at least one of its representatives there uh, for the event. Plus, it's it's at McKellar. They have great beer and great food. And we're going to hang out and watch the game afterwards there as well. So uh, come by. Buy some raffle tickets. If you can't get there, I said goodwillmazenavenue.com, and I'll put it in the show notes for this show, too, um, to get some raffle tickets for those DeGrom and Syndergaard baseballs. They are currently sitting in my house, and I am so paranoid my house is going to burn down, <laughs> and they're going <laughs> to be in them. I mean, that would be a terrible thing for my family for so many reasons, but you know, to know that I lost those two baseballs would be uh, would be bad. I jokingly suggest we put them in our fireproof safe where like, <laughs> our wills are and things, but... Uh, I I I don't didn't actually pull the trigger on that. So yeah, I think um, it, I think your odds. I think it'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's a super cool event. Uh, you could you can look up hashtag dollars for dingers on Twitter and see all the folks that are part of it. And this is actually uh, the the ladies of Amazing Avenue organized this with the Cup of Cubby Blue podcast uh, for the Cubs, and so they are mad. I believe I believe it's some sort of competition. Of uh, of who was getting who was getting more uh, more donations, and so I I guess we'll see we'll see who wins. I I have to think the Mets are are pulling ahead because we all know how great Mets fans are, and uh, I'll I'll leave it at that about Cubs fans. <laughs> Since we are partnering, yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly we're we're trying to be trying to be kind here but uh, it, it is super cool and you know the cup of cubby blue folks are great so it's not like it's a uh it's not like we're we're bagging on them but uh by the way this is this is as of right now uh f- just from the pot of our own listeners we have pledged over two thousand dollars to the national domestic violence hotline so that's pretty great. Yeah. Congratulations, everyone who is taking part in this. And if you're not, there is still time. Uh, you know, I, I, I was relatively conservative with my, uh, with the amount of money I was willing to, uh, to, to, don- to donate only because I was afraid because we're doing it per home run. Right. So it's different if you're saying, all right, I can look in my budget and I can afford a hundred dollars. I can donate that. It's very different to put this at, the mercy of Pete Alonso and, and Michael Conforto and Jeff McNeil who have been, you know, making me pay, but I'm, I'm very glad to be paying the money. Um, and what's interesting is that right now the Mets and Cubs have exactly the same number of home runs in, in September. Yeah. So anyway, come back to the event, pledge some money. It's for a great cause. And uh, yeah, we should get to our email, I suppose. Huh? Yeah. Email and music. Okay, yeah. So uh, our friend Ryan Carney emailed us. He said, I understand why it's newsworthy, 
and I understand it could be detrimental to clubhouse morale. But why is it so outside the bounds of everything in the sport for Noah Syndergaard to want to pitch to Tomas Nito or Rene Rivera? He has enough of a sample size with each to know that the chemistry just isn't there with Wilson Ramos. So he went directly to Brody. I don't see this as a big deal, especially considering how hands-on Brody is with in-game decisions. I don't see this as a diva move. And the fact that it made it to the press feels to me like Brody's desire, for whatever reason, to be rid of Thor has continued long after the trading deadline. On an unrelated note, Syndergaard has a 122 ERA plus with a 9.7 K per 9 for his career and is still two seasons away from free agency, pitched a gem in a single elimination wildcard game, and is the last Mets starter since Ron Darling to win a World Series game. For the Mets to compete as currently constructed, they need deep and successful outings every time from Thor and DeGrom. The numbers seem to back up Noah's argument that he's better off without Ramos. There's a second question, but I, I want I to deal with that one first. So, you know, other shows, other writers have dealt with this topic in the time since you and I last spoke, Chris. But what do you make of this? Do you think that it's a big deal that Syndergaard went to Brody about this? Not a no, not not an overwhelmingly big deal. Uh, we know over the years that plenty of pitchers have had that kind of situation. I mean, Clayton Kershaw had it. Um, I think going back, Jacob Degrom had it last year, <laughs> right? Yeah, the Degrom. Um, I think the combination of Syndergaard having a big personality uh, and the fact that Tomas Nito and to a lesser extent, Rene Rivera are just awful at hitting <laughs> makes it more of a story. Um, you know, I think what Allison's piece the other day, which was uh, certainly popular uh, and, and delivered a really good point, uh, spoke to it that there's always going to be somebody for either the, the Mets the, the press that covers the Mets or Mets fans, although I don't know if fans have soured on Syndergaard to the same extent, uh, but there's always going to be somebody who's really talented and gets a disproportionate level of shit. And it, it was sort of inevitable that it would be him. So I think her point on that is really good. And at the same time, I think if, if Tomas Nito could just hit like not even – Tampa Bay Rays, Travis Darno, but just like normal Mets, Travis Darno. And then you said, okay, he's a downgrade from Ramos, but he's not like a seven step downgrade. Sure. You know, let's say Ramos is like a solid B hitter. Darno was probably a C or a C minus. Uh, I know I'm just defying convention here and not using a scouting scale, but <laughs> um, and, and Nito is like an F. I think that makes a difference. I and I think that dynamic of uh, who Syndergaard is, and you know, I think I think there's probably a tally sheet for how many times a guy didn't answer a beat, the beat reporter's questions on who's going to get shit when when things go wrong. Right. Uh, I know they've complained about that, so I think it's just kind of the perfect storm where. I, I don't know whether he's right or wrong, but he is the pitcher and he has accomplished a lot, which the email points out. Um, and I think that should 
gained you some credibility. You've you've been there. You've done these things. You've. It doesn't matter how young you were at the time. You know you pitched extremely well in high pressure, high pressure situations in the 2015 playoffs uh, and World Series, and in that wild card game in 2016. And. You, you've done it over the course of regular seasons, too. I mean, it, anytime there's been negative negativity about him, I've gone back to the things that we've seen uh, over the course of his career. He, he stacks up remarkably well. He is not Jacob deGrom, but he's just a slight bit below that when you compare all Major League starters over the last three, four seasons. So, yeah, I... I think most days Wilson Ramos is the guy and I hate to read too much into catcher ERA, uh, but that, that wouldn't be what I made my decision on. It's more the conversation you're having with your pitcher. Yeah. I think there's a couple of complicating factors here. Uh, Callaway had said um, that the situation with DeGrom last year was different because DeGrom was in a Cy Young race and our season wasn't going anywhere. And I think that's a dangerous precedent to set because, I mean, first of all, he, he's not wrong, though. He isn't, right? DeGrom was buying, was was seemingly the favorite to win the Cy Young, and Syndergaard is not going to be winning any Cy Young awards this season. And so I understand the idea that you want to have your best offensive lineup out there most of the time. Again, I, I'm not questioning that logic whatsoever. What I will question, though, is how the Mets don't seem to understand that their offense is good enough to beat teams when those teams are dominated by their starting pitching. Um, you know, it, it just seems to make sense to me that, okay, if Syndergaard will give up... I mean, look look at the last couple of starts with Ramos. He's given up... I don't have baseball reference open in front of me. But he he has not been... He, he hasn't been good. He's He's been mediocre to bad since this all happened. And uh, I am not blaming that on Wilson Ramos by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not. But if Syndergaard doesn't feel comfortable with Ramos... You have to win those games. You have to win the games the center guard is pitching. And if he's more comfortable pitching to somebody else, to me, the difference between if we can if we could boil it down to just a number that Wilson Ramos is X amount of runs better than Tomas Nito per game, I don't think that that number equals the amount of runs that Syndergaard will keep off the board for the other team if he is going strong. I know this is very subjective and this isn't really making any sense, but. You know, um, okay. So Syndergaard, you understand what I'm saying, though, right? You know, Syndergaard yeah, yeah, went, yeah. went five and two thirds inning in his last start, gave up four runs. The start before that, he went five innings, gave up four runs. Start before that, he went up, he went five innings, gave up four runs. You need to get more than that out of Syndergaard. So if you can make, if you can set him up for success, that will that's a big that's a big boon for your team. But the other thing that I think is really telling about this is that the Mets are putting, at least not this past over the start before, they put Nito with Stroman because they felt that Nito would be a better pitch framer and would get him calls at the bottom of the strike zone 
and so they gave up offense for Marcus Stroman. I'm not saying that's a bad decision. I think it's a very good decision, actually. But if you're going to make that argument for Stroman, you have to make that argument for Syndergaard, don't you? You would think. It just doesn't make sense to me. And look, Ramos is an excellent hitter this season. He is hitting very, very well. I am I am happy to have Ramos on the team. But if Ramos starts five games a week instead of six games a week, I don't think that changes the season very much. Yeah. I don't know. I just, for whatever reason, like Allison said, there's just, this is the player they have chosen to shit on. Yeah. And uh, it's very frustrating. And the fact that it leaked is really frustrating. Because, I, I mean, I don't think that Brody is the type of guy who is necessarily calling a beat reporter and saying, hey, listen to this. But Brody probably told somebody on his staff about it, and a staff member went and told it to, to somebody else. And that's just, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. No real hot <laughs> takes here, I guess. We're just, you know, uh, yeah. But uh, but Ryan had a follow-up question about Ramos. He said, second question, why doesn't Callaway pinch run for Ramos more late in close games? He has three catches on the roster. There's no reason if it's a one- or two-run game and Ramos is a single in the sixth or later that he should be running the bases. Thoughts? Um, I don't know. I guess he, like a lot of managers, has always been kind of weird when it comes to replacing catchers, even when there's a third one on the roster. But then in the Rocky series, he did it um, in a way that he, he was down to his last catcher as the only one who was left in the game with a couple innings to go. So, I yeah, I don't, I don't really know. Um. I guess it all uh, – yeah. <laughs> I don't have any really great answer to this other than it's just weird and Callaway doesn't always make the best decision. Um, I guess that might, that might just be it. There's also the argument to be made that if it's a one or two, if it's a one or two run game and the Mets are you know behind by one or two runs and you want you want your best batters coming up late in the game to give you that victory. And so if you don't – if you take Ramos out of the game, you might be coming up with two men on and two out and Tomas Nito straight into the plate. Yeah, I can see that being in the back of your head. I think if you're winning, it's a different story. And I think if you're if you're winning and you're bringing in a better defensive catcher, there's a lot to be said for that too. But I think if you're down – I understand why you wouldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Chris, it's time for our music picks. Um, what are you feeling this week? So I, <laughs> I, as I had sent you a message on Slack uh, that like, oh man, I can't wait to get back on the podcast because my music recommendation is so strong. Um, Last year at Desert Days, there was a band called Cat Scan, um, and they put out. Uh, well, hold on. Before we get to that, uh, they played a set that was just like this. I described it as Parquet Courts on Speed. <laughs> okay. And Parquet Courts has fast songs. It's yes, just, they do. All of their songs were fast, 
And there was just something about their stage presence and their sound and all that that I was just like, oh, it's it's like faster parquet courts. And I mean that as a compliment. Um, yeah, they they put on this great set. Um, really liked them. And then their band camp had one song. They had nothing on anything else. And it was one 44-second song, which is on the record, called NRA. Uh, it's, it's not a pro NRA band to, to Thank be goodness. in case that wasn't blatantly obvious from everything else that you've encountered <laughs> on this this podcast um, but but that was all they had and we came off the festival like they had no merch um there was one song on Bandcamp. it was youtube videos that i'm like sending to friends like oh check this band out um sent them a message on Bandcamp, like did do you guys have anything recorded they never answered because uh, presumably either they didn't check their Bandcamp messages or they didn't have a record to say yes we do right uh and reply with so all that leads up to uh that this is a relatively small band um i guess because all of a sudden one day i was just like oh shit they have a record out and it's out right now uh and it was the day it came out so cat scan in nature um it's on Spotify. I assume it's everywhere else. Uh, the vinyl on Bandcamp is like 14 bucks. So, you know, however you prefer to listen to your music, it's all it's all out there. Uh, and I, I'm into it. I, the, the record lived up to what I remember them being like live. Um, it just sounds really good. And yeah, that that's that's it. Um, I get excited about lots of music and lots of it is, is new. Um, but this is definitely up there. It's like, for me, it has a shot of being, um, you know, among the top albums of the year. So, and we will have a podcast all about that come December. So all that are top albums of the year. Indeed. Um, so th- that'll be fun. Um, we, I, I'm definitely excited to check them out. I, I remember you telling me about them last year, so I'm excited to check them out now. Um, I just saved it to my Spotify, so there we go. Nice. Uh, so my pick is um, well, a little personal history here. So uh, when I got to college in 2000, it was at the peak of Napster. And so I would hear about a band, and then I would download their entire discography overnight <laughs> and uh, rinse, repeat every night for three years. And um, one of the first bands I did that with was the Pixies. And the Pixies went on to become, if not my favorite band, one of my favorite bands. Uh, they were certainly the band of my twenties. Like my the entirety of my twenties, I was obsessed with with Pixies and Frank Black stuff, and I still absolutely adore their records. Um, they lost their original bass player in 2013, I believe it was, and their first reunion album was called Indie Cindy, and it's it's not my thing. I mean, it's it's fine. There there are some good songs on there but it's really not what I was hoping for a new Pixies record. They released one two years later called uh, Head Carrier, which was better, but still a little stilted to me. And uh, this past week, they released a new one called Beneath the Eerie. And uh, while it's not quite at the level of the first run of stuff for me, it's it's a very good album. Um, it's a very gothic-feeling album. It was recorded in a decommissioned church outside Woodstock. And... Uh, it's 
there's a lot of like surfy elements. I, the pictures are the best when they're surfy to me. There's a lot of interesting like uh, sort of western guitar elements to it, and uh, their bass player Paz Lachantin has has been writing a lot more on this album, and I really enjoy what she brings to the band. There are still a few songs in the album that I, I think are perhaps misguided, and uh, I would certainly have produced it differently, but they haven't asked me to produce yet. Um, so, you know, that's there's that. But I think in terms of it's so hard for a band to be away for as long as the Pixies were. They, they, they broke up for the first time in 93 and they did not play another show until 2004. And then they did not release another record until I believe it's 2014. And so to have that much time pass, it's really hard to come back from that and not lose a step. I think there's only a few bands that have even come close. I'd say like Mission to Burma, Dinosaur Jr. Um, maybe those are the only two I can think of offhand. The bands were pretty much dead in the water, and then they came back and did really interesting stuff at the level they were doing before they broke up. And this is the closest the Pixies have come to that. Uh, there's a couple of songs I really love. A song called Daniel Boone. It's the penultimate track on the album um, that... There, there was a podcast called "It's a Pix- It." Yeah, it's a Pixies podcast that documented the making of the record, and there's an acoustic version of Daniel Boone that was played on that podcast that I think is better than the studio version. But it's it's a really really great song. Um, the first single is called "On Graveyard Hill," and I think that's a, a solid Pixies song. But there's there's a few uh, Daniel Boone, Death Horizon, Los Surfers Muertos, uh, Silver Bullet that are just really like top-notch Pixie songs. And I, I sort of skipped out on their last tour because I felt like ah, I'd seen them a lot lately. And I wasn't a huge fan of the way some of the new songs were being played live. But now I'm I'm very much in for their whenever they come back next. So Beneath the Eerie by Pixies is my selection for this week. I will definitely check it out. Yeah. Well, that does it for our show for this week. Again, Saturday, a pot of their own. Dollars for Dingers at McKellar, 2 to 4 p.m. Come on out say hi to all of us. Um, in the meantime, go to AmazingAvenue.com, where we will be just as anxiously as you checking standings, making sure that you know our hopes are getting up before they can get dashed. And, uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's going to be a really interesting week or so in Mets baseball. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can find all the Amazing Avenue podcasts at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, your podcatcher of choice, wherever you get podcasts, check it out. We're we're gonna be there and you can uh, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I'm just stammering because the Cubs have tied the game in the ninth. They did. Thankfully they um, didn't win it, but they did tie it. Yeah, so come on St. Louis. It feels weird to root for the Cardinals, but here we are in 2019 uh, with strange bedfellows everywhere we look. Um, you can find Chris on Twitter at Chris McShane. I'm at Brian Needs a Nap, and we'll see you at McKellar. And so until then, let's go Mets. I can't believe they fucking tied it.